us. So I appreciate your time. Um, so you are a senior product designer at Speechify and also a TEDx speaker. So do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about what you do before we jump into the questions? For sure. Uh, first, I appreciate the time. And yeah, thank you for having me here. So um, I'm Carlos. I'm originally from Costa Rica, but mm -hmm. I live in China. China is my new home. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I've been a designer for about like 15 years. My my first major is computer science, as a software engineer. Then I developed my career towards design, um, <clears throat> like all, all related to user experience, UI, and how to build that into software. And finally, I was uh, moving into uh, management and marketing because at the end of the day, design is about solving a problem, right? And some cases about how you market a problem and the other one, uh, how you bring solutions to that problem. So, yeah, that's a little bit about myself. Okay, that's cool. So on your profile, um, it kind of talks a little bit about your speech, like what you do for Speechify, and it says that you guys grow by 70% um, month over month. So how do you cope and how do you plan for such rapid growth, like from perspective of a senior product designer? Yeah, so every, every month we have different uh, growth and depend also on our platforms. Mm -hmm. uh, we keep innovating and finding new ways to help people, right? So as I said, a design is about solving problems. It's not about making things beautiful. Uh, as long as you can satisfy a need, mm -hmm. then the customers will keep using your platform. So yeah, my daily basis is uh, analyze the, how our customers are using our platform and identify those pain points or things that can improve their life, right? Uh, a classic example we like to use in the design environment is uh, people were asking for faster horses rather than asking for a car. So not always what the customer wants is what they need. Sometimes you need to present a new solution and they are going to be like, wow, okay, this is useful and I never thought about this. So it's just like having that overview of what is happening in the world of, of the designer. Uh, there is a... <clears throat> There is a like an example like I like to use designers. We need to have two views. One is called a balcony view, in which we see the overview of everything, and the other one is the dancing view, in which you are dancing in the what what is happening right now, right? So, yeah, that's like what we we the group of designers at Specify do to keep the grow the the growing every month, right? In all our platforms. Okay, that's cool. Emily, do you have a question? Yeah, <clears throat> I should probably already know this, but what does Speechify? What's their product? What what's what what's the core core product? So Speechify is a text to speech platform, right? So what we do is we read aloud a different text that the, the customer provides. So more than that, is is an experience. In, uh, the product was based and it was born because of the CEO. He when he was younger, he had trouble reading and he didn't understand why, right? So he kept studying all the reading, all the grammar rules and syntaxes and semantic rules, but he was like, I'm, I'm still not able to, to put the things together. What, what's going on? Then um, his parents found out that he was just dyslexic, that it was hard for like, his brain to put the words together in, in all the letters, right? So after that, he said, okay, he didn't 
he didn't see it as like a problem. He saw it like as an opportunity. So, okay, maybe I cannot put the words together, but when I listen to something, I get it right away. What about if I just listen to the things? And then, of course, when he was younger, then his parents helped him by reading things and getting audiobooks and so on. With time, he started to develop his skills and say, okay, I can grab some existing software and try it out and see how this works for me. And that's how he started to develop like an amazing ability to retain information by listening to it. Then with time, it, we found out that there's a lot of applications that you not, don't necessarily need to be dyslexic to have the benefits of Specify. For example, when you listen to things, you can multitask, you can improve your reading comprehension and also your reading speed. You can consume information faster and among other benefits, right? So that's the basic principle behind Specify. That's so cool. I think that's an amazing product. Um, even for, I suppose you can use it in like schools and things, which is also, you know, a huge market. Um, because, you know, kids gotta be learning. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's um, of course, a student is a is a big portion of of our market, but can be for anything. For example, YouTube is our content creators. I oh, know. Nice. You can you can write like an introduction, like a plan for a podcast and so on, and then you can read it aloud just to see how it feels, right? See, okay, yeah, this one sounds nice, or maybe I can change these words because it's kind of, kind of I don't know, not not matching what I wanted to say. So it has a lot of applications in work, leisure, reading, school, uh, biohacking, and so on. Awesome. That's so cool. I really love that. Um Sounds like a good product. And, you know, the best stories, I think, come from founders who actually experience like a, like it has a personal touch point. Um, like yeah. all the companies that I've worked for, most of the companies that I've worked for have had like a personal touch point and they, they came up with an idea, saw a gap in the market. So I think that that's, you know, telling of like a good, you know, product. You know, they're really looking to help people avoid the problem that yeah, they exactly. experienced or something no, that's awesome. I really like it. Um, do you have a question, Christine? Um, what framework do you use to prioritize uh, your like responsibilities? So um, it's not like a framework itself. Every time you try some tools and then you start to see which ones are like the best for you. So to keep my task, I have the platform when it's linear. It's just like a very known platform for developers that's like the overview of the company and then for my personal like notes or things that i need to, to do every day i use notion just a notion page by myself which it works good for me so that's how i like keep my daily basis and of course i always have post-its i love this <laughs> i feel when you write something it's like you remove that abstraction from your brain and then you put it there and it's so things that are like origin or i must not forget i write it down Super important advice. Oh my god, I love that. But what if you lose the post-it note? Then it's a crisis. Huh? What if you lose the post-it note? Then it's a crisis. They're not that sticky. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's more about the concept of having it, like writing it somewhere. It's, <laughs> yeah. Even if I if I lose it, right? It's like I already wrote it, so it's like okay, yeah, I'm gonna remember about that. Yeah. No, I get you. I was I was just playing around. <laughs> English humor. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I 
Okay, so how would you prioritize adding, for example, a new feature, which um, your like top salesperson would tell you that that's what you need to have over, I don't know, like a different or like uh, fixing a UX problem. And obviously you were like limited at resource capacity. How would you go about figuring out which one you would need to do first? Exactly. You said uh, a very important point, the capacity, right? Mm. Um, part of part of my career as, as an engineer and a designer allows me to understand the capacity of developers, right? Uh, sometimes <clears throat> designers go a little bit like far away from the scope because they want to have like something beautiful. But as I said, we just need to solve some problem or it's a feature that we really need. So the first step will be like, okay, why do we need this feature? Do we have enough data backing up that things are not working the way we want? Or it's just a nice to have. For example, a nice to have is like, okay, I'm not very happy with this button. I would like to change the code. That's a nice to have. But is it really going to impact? Okay, then we need to check the data. Actually, everybody's clicking on the button. We don't have complaints. And it seems that flows nice. Okay, a nice to have is not going to be a priority. Once we have everything solved, we can go to that. But for example, if we have a call to action that leads to a sign up and people are not clicking it, okay, that's a priority because we need users and the users need to sign up. That's the first step. So first you identify, okay, how heavy is the priority, right? How much we need it. Then after that, you evaluate, okay, a call to action, change a button is something simple. It can be doing a short cycle. But if it's like making a completely new new page, that takes some time. So what I will do first is check the data and say, okay, what, where are the people getting lost here? Is it because the whole design is not right? or maybe we're not putting in the right position. So what you try to do is just minimize the scope. The idea uh, nowadays is to deliver it fast and test again. So mm -hmm. as a designer, I would love, of course, to have something beautiful, but I need to make sure that it's gonna work. So what I do is small changes, test again, maybe have some call with users, and then find out, okay, now everybody's clicking. Fine, let's proceed to make it more appealing or related to our branding and so on. So that's like the flow I will take. Cool. Makes sense, to be fair. Do you, um, do you work with developers? Uh, I'm guessing you have quite a massive team of developers then for Speechify. And, um, yes. Yeah. Um, how, do you, how do you like nurture that relationship with uh, the developers? Um, just, I, I've, as I've come into product and sort of, I I'm starting to understand that there's, you know, there's a variety of the importance for having that a good relationship with developers and kind of keeping that, that um, a streamlined approach, if you get what I'm saying. Um, yes. How, would, how do you do that? So in, in every career or path you take, right, there is like a junior level and a senior level. Mm-hmm. So for whatever you do at senior level is just be able to communicate in the right way to the right person, right? And second, you must understand what the others do. So how I keep a good relationship with developers, project managers, and stakeholders, I need to put myself in their shoes. And I need to understand how they think, what are their goals, and why they are doing this. A stakeholder is going to take care more of revenue. So if they ask me, Carlos, I need to change this page because we need to convert more. 
they actually are not caring too much about how it's going to look as long as it convert. The project manager you will say, okay, Carl, you need to do a new page, but I can only allow you one developer this week is what we have, right? So they're going to think more about new resources. And then developers is like, okay, can I really understand the whole design? Can you put it clear enough for me so I don't need to go back and forth with you? So things like, okay, if I click this button, what is going to do? How it should look? If it's going to be animated? And if it's going to have a transition to a new page and so on. So being in that senior level is just understand, right, and communicate. The way I'm going to talk with a stakeholder is different with a developer. In a developer, I can use some terms that are like, okay, man, I, I need this animation here, put this background while we change the page, and maybe let's make a delay of, I don't know, half a second. But with a stakeholder, it's like, okay, let me study the data. Uh, how much of the percentage are you aiming to get with this test? And okay, are we gonna show this to somebody or how long are we gonna run this test? So I'm talking about the same, right? But it's different approach. Once you do mm -hmm. that, then your team gets happy. They want to work with you again. I cannot go and tell the developer, hey, I'm gonna show this to a new investor on Friday. So must be ready. Because they're gonna be like, okay, I still don't understand the design. I don't know what you want. And you are giving me a lot of pressure. Yeah. When you are able to deliver that message in different ways, everybody gets happy. They do the work, and as a team, we accomplish a goal. So they want to work with you again, which is super important. I encourage all the designers that if they want to be or they want to get into a senior level, you must understand code. I'm not yeah. saying you need to write it, you need to be a developer, but you must understand. So you also can get the idea about the workload that the developer has and how to talk with them. After that, they will love you. Yeah, makes sense. And um, what sort of platform do you use for like writing user stories and like um, and uh, like what's your what's your tool of choice? Like we would use GitHub or Azure. So for user story, something like <clears throat> a, as you say, it's, it's a story, right? So you don't even take a, take care too much about the tool. It's more about you sitting down and understanding. Talking with users is always amazing. Just see them using the product gives you a lot of insights you can take notes like with your hand you can use a note like any note um, editor so i don't have like any preference it depends on the situation i am even just recording the person while they're talking using the application can be enough to then transcribe me <laughs> <laughs> they're good because i asked somebody smarter who that i am to ask the question all right fine i'll go on so basically being a product managers balancing act between following product vision strategy and i guess the point that i'm trying to make is that you become super stressed by managing the stakeholders the developers ux designers everybody and you're ultimately not really responsible for any output so how do you personally for example manage the stress that's put onto you by shareholders because i guess like we did kind of cover in terms of like just developers and like t-shirt sizes and resource capacity but this is more about you know, you're not actually putting out an output, other people are, but yet you're still responsible for them doing all that. So how do you measure the moving parts? Because I think like you, you have like a lot of empathy and compassion as a leader because you have ability to get to know people on their individual level. But obviously when you put on top, like a product manager's strategy, it becomes more complicated than just that. So luckily I, I've been learning and I work with amazing project managers. And I don't feel any of us and them experience like this is management stress, right? As you said, 
uh, we all understand what we're doing and, and understand the platform and why we do it. So when it comes like a hard request, um, first we, we believe or we feel it's not achievable right away. We say, we talk with the stakeholders, okay, I, um, we're not going to be able to accomplish that in this time frame or period of time. And then again, we just go to the root. Okay. What is the goal here? What do we want to accomplish? To see if we can find another way. So what I'm doing is instead of getting that stress that I feel, okay, I'm not sure I can do this, but I, I must say yes. But we are very open and we we just want to get to the, the final result. Maybe we can get in another way so we can talk it. And our stakeholders are also very open and and goal oriented, so they know if we can find another route, we'll be fine. So yeah, I, I suggest that to like leader, design leads, and project managers. It's not about taking the stress, right? It's about understanding how is how that idea was born. Um, something that I that I see and I saw in many companies is the stakeholders have great solutions, but you don't always understand the problem. So once you understand the problem, it's actually easier for a whole team to prepare a solution and take in consideration the solution of the stakeholder, right? Coming up always with solution doesn't mean it's going to be a good plan. Uh, you must understand the question. Because in most of the cases, the solution itself is in the question, right? And and then that's how you avoid like having that negative stress of, okay, we need to accomplish this. Maybe we need to sacrifice things. Cool. Um, I suppose it's a good question, actually. Um, like a lot of pe product people I, I speak to um, kind of say that they fell into product. It wasn't like on their initial trajectory to be like a product manager. Um, I think it'd be interesting to hear your story in like a condensed version of your story of how you got to be at Speechify. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. She's supposed to like share with me and I probably talk, so she's like, this one's also going to talk. So let's just say condensed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's super good. Super good. <laughs> All right. so, so at least for myself, I um, I always wanted to be part of the product, right? Uh, I started as a developer, so I was creating those solutions and, and analyzing those problems. Design allows me just to make a better experience. Uh, and, and put all those things together. So in, in terms of, I, I wanted to be there, yeah. Uh, the, the problem that I see <clears throat> recently is that there are many tools that are, are now very easy to use. And like, let's say the learning curve has been reduced significantly. So a lot of people, they say they are designers, just people you can use Figma doesn't mean you are a designer, right? And that, the difference, as I was saying before, is understanding design is to solve a problem. Mm -hmm. And once you make sure and you measure that the problem has been solved, then you can say, yeah, my design has been successful. can look amazing, it can look beautiful, but if it doesn't solve anything, it doesn't work. Um, I, I always, when, when I get like previous customers and so on, it's like, okay, I saw this design in Dribble. Yeah, Dribble is good for a portfolio, but 90% of the design there are not achievable. It's just just look and feel and that's it. But it has so many things and develop that will be so complicated that will get a lot of load in the website, loading time, and so on. 
So, yeah, as a designer, you gotta you gotta understand that. And when it comes to project management, it's good for you to have an overview of design because of the user experience and understand how people behave and understand and, and get to know right what they need. Yeah. And then it's just match that through resources and goals, right? Um, there is a like one goal framework called the North Star. So like all the team should look and should move forward to that goal. Okay. So project manager is like, okay, how can we do different tests or like project manager in growth, right? How can we do different tests and so on to maybe find different ways to get, but always looking forward to that. The North Star. Amazing. I love that um analogy. Oh yeah, analogy. Yeah. Um my next question. Um I suppose as a product designer, you you, you definitely ha have a lot of dealings with like UX and UI. Um and sort of it's become one of those things, I guess, some in some businesses that people think it's not it's not an essential part of their, like if they're rescaling or resizing because of mm -hmm. then it's one of the first to go. But realistically, it's like the most important. Um, I think, you know, you, you have to have like a design system in place at the beginning of beginning of your journey, really. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so going back to my point, right? Um, nowadays, it's easier to start as a designer but when you go to a company and then your value is only making things beautiful it's easier yeah. to let you go right because a lot of people can take can take something and make it beautiful and competition and demand the more people gain there the cheaper mm -hmm. it gets and so on but for example when uh, i get somebody and they say okay carlos i i want to make my website more beautiful or i want to improve i don't know my ui my first question is, what do you want to achieve? What is your goal? And then when they say, okay, I want to get more customers, then my approach will be, okay, I can make a design for you and you will get three times your revenue. So look the value I'm giving to the customer, right? We get one designer saying, okay, yeah, I make things beautiful. And then you get a product designer in a senior position saying, okay, I'm gonna bring you, I'm gonna bring you three times the money you're doing, you're yeah. getting. So what happens? Suddenly the value is like, okay, this guy is charging me X amount, but when I take a look and I see I'm gonna get three times my revenue, that doesn't seem like a lot of money. That sounds like a nice investment. Yeah. Well, if I could just come with a nice design and say, yeah, your website is gonna look like that. And this is the price. Most of the time, the people are gonna be like, I don't know, maybe I can find somebody cheaper. And I don't think I need this website right now. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's about that approach, right? That you need to understand that. It, everybody's running a business and everybody needs to have revenue otherwise there's no point yeah i think that something's that something that's really interesting is people like to have things that are, you know like obviously you talked about doing things that are backed by data so like you, do you have the data to validate an idea but sometimes i found with like ux related things like maybe changing the display of like a certain page it's or moving a button slightly to the left or something it sometimes can be hard to validate a thing before if you don't it's one of those things that you have to do and just kind of yeah. see 
rather that, but then um, that's a tricky conundrum because your stakeholders will want to have that data in order to allow you to do it because it costs like, I don't know, 10 grand to move like a, a mega nav or something, you know, like a, a menu. So how do you, how do you, how would you handle that situation if you wanted to make a change um, that was quite costly, but you couldn't back it up with data at the time? So there are two ways. Yeah. The first one, when you have been uh, already making changes and your changes have been working, then mm. it's easier for your stakeholder to trust you, right? Nowadays, I can come up with crazy ideas that they are just going to say, go for it. I believe in what you feel, right? And maybe I'm just saying, I feel and by my experience and by things I have seen in the past, moving the button here is going to work. So first, you've got to earn the trust. Okay, let's say you don't have trust, you're starting. And you really want to move the button. So what you do, you go to the stakeholder and say, okay, what do you think about this? They're going to say, okay, I don't care. I just want more place. Leave the button there. So what I propose this like initial cases is do both designs. Make one design that is totally what the stakeholder wants, and then make the design that you want. And when you present, present both together. And you say, look, this is the idea you give me uh, exactly the way you told me. I just maybe arrange it better and put the branding. And this is what I'm thinking about. Mm. When you put it together, it's easier for them to see, okay, actually your solution feels better. And I see why you put it on the left side. So it's what I'm trying to say is you don't go and say right away to the stakeholder, but you might no, I don't want to do that. Or no, that's not going to work. So what you do, you still do it. And you, in this way, you show you are willing to accept everybody's ideas. There's no bad ideas, right? We just need to analyze which one is the best one. So when you put both, it's always easier for them to see, okay, now I know why you want to move. The structure of the page looks better or the structure of the app feels better. And actually, I feel more comfortable with that position you put the button. Okay, we can go with you. So at the beginning, it will take double time because you need to develop two designs. But at the end, you are creating trust. You are letting letting people, you listen to them, and you also try to understand why they thought that way. And step by step, you get the trust. After some time, they already know that you have done your process, that you have your experience. And if I said the button should be there, they'll be, they are going to be more willing to say, okay, I thought to put it on the left, but if you say right, let's go for it. Yeah. Okay. So key takeaway there is probably, you know, be willing to listen to other, accept other people's ideas, um, yeah. to build trust and going that extra mile sometimes isn't the, is the best thing. Like by doing that extra design, that's like your own essentially, or the one that you think is better. Um, awesome. Love that. That's a great, great question. Um, did you ask the question and told me? Um, I've got a question. So, you are a TEDx uh, speaker and you spoke, I don't know how to pronounce the university name, so maybe you could all teach us um, about a topic. And the topic was don't follow your passion. Do you want to tell us and the audience a little bit more about that? Yeah, so that university is in the province of Zhejiang in the east of China. I was living back then in Hangzhou. And so there were 
the talk was for the um, senior students of the university. In in that moment, when you find like, okay, I'm almost done. I after I finish this, I should get a job. Or I should do something with my life. Right, the university period is coming to an end. What should I do? <clears throat> so with again with experience and making mistakes i learned that you shouldn't follow your passion uh, my initial passion when i was a, a teenager was to draw manga like anime anime drawings right as you can see my background i like to collect anime figures and it's part of my life and i love it but drawing for me is something about inspiration i draw what i want to draw and if i feel inspired i will draw what happens if suddenly somebody comes to me and says, okay, yeah, Carlos, you're going to work making drawings, but you need to draw this card. And I don't like that card. Couple of, yeah, first day, fine. Second day, okay. Two weeks later, I will hate drawing. I don't want to draw anymore. So passion is something that changes too fast. It's a feeling. What, what, I, what I like to eat today is not the same I like to eat 10 years ago. So we, we get this wrong idea for, from celebrities, from people that made it in another way. And they say, yeah, follow your dreams, follow your passion. That's, that's just bullshit. Uh, that's why it's your passion, something that should be done in a specific times or special times to keep the flame always, right? And you're always open to that. You can get more passions. Uh, once you grow up, you are, you, the other doors open to you and you find your passions and so on. So what I suggest and recommend to these uh, students was just to try as many things as you can. Even if you think you're gonna fail, even better, just go and do it. So I remember I try as many things. I, I publish a book with my drawings. I open a coffee shop. I try different careers. While I was working on design and I, in my free time or while taking breaks, I try as many things. For example, I love coffee. Is as part of my culture, and making coffee is extremely relaxing, and you enjoy seeing the people and having that nice cup of coffee that you make. And for example, I like to draw, so I make before drawings in, in the latte, and people I like, get super excited and happy. But what happened? The coffee business is brutal. The competition is too high. You get franchises like Starbucks and so on. So. And well, the time it takes me to make a drawing and a coffee, a Starbucks can make 10 coffees. So I cannot compete with that. Then you start to find out, okay, it's something I enjoy. I can say it's part of my passion, but it's not what I'm looking for. Fine, I'm glad I tried. I'm glad I tried while I was young because I can recover fast from the failure and learn a lot. While having the coffee shop, I actually learned a lot how to interact with people, how to deal with them, how to listen to them. Something we are losing nowadays is we don't listen. We we want to talk. We want to give our opinion, but we don't want to listen. So another recommendation for everybody listening. Imagine the other person you are talking to has something you don't know. When you go with that vision, you're going to pay attention. Imagine every person you talk knows something you don't know. Then when you see it like that, you listen more. You pay attention and you can find so so many interesting things about everybody. So my coffee shop failed. Yes. Did I learn a lot? 
yes, and it helps me a lot with my career. And so on, I publish, I publish a book about my drawings, then I learn, okay, people appreciate my drawings. But again, that book business is also very tough and you gotta draw what the people like, not what you like. So I said, okay, this is also not for me. My first book, okay, was a success locally because I draw anime and it's something like, okay, people naturally feel they looks nice and yeah we're familiar with the shapes and so on so it's okay but after that if i wanted to release more it was like a specific topics and it's to be only that so i was like okay that's also not something mm -hmm. i'm looking for how do i get to that point of what i like and what i don't like just trying things and getting myself very comfortable with failing i rem i remember i was doing the talk and i told the students look i have failed more times than all of you have ever tried what you need to do right now is just keep trying. So that was a talk about, and yeah, for everybody listening, don't follow your passion. Try as many things as you can. Find what are you good at, what you enjoy, and then just become an expert. People will appreciate your work. You're giving value to the community, and then they will give you value back. That's how you start to be part of the world, right? We don't. We are not ourselves. We live in a society, and being part of that gives us fulfillment. And at least for me, part of the meaning of life is feel that fulfillment. My question: um, What would you say your top, um, like top three failings were over the years? Oh, and then into the mistakes you made. So I don't. I don't have like top three failures. I, as I said, I failed too much, and I feel all of them help me uh, but what I can I what what I can say is start failing as young as possible it's way easier to recover right I was 22 when I opened a coffee shop didn't have anything to lose I, I used my savings and used to work for Hewlett-Packard so I had a good position when I decided to quit they, they gave me good remuneration so it was enough just to start so that was like a nice failure where I learned a lot. Um, yeah, I tried also to develop my career as an artist. Mm -hmm. And I found out that the artist world is not for me. I'm a very organized mm -hmm. person and the artist world is just different, right? Just works in another frequency that is not mine. So cool. I learned about that. And yeah, so failures like that are all are good lessons. And recommendations start as young as possible. Don't let anybody stop you. Don't let your parents stop you. And try to find a mentor that has been doing what you want to do and experience their life. I was in my last year of high school and I didn't know if I should start with computer science or with digital animation. Mm. They both had like very good impact in my life. And I was like, okay. I what I did is I found two people of each career and I went and I shadowed one of their days and so I checked how a, like a software engineer works and how a digital animator works and then I found out that being a software engineer is way harder than being a digital animator so I said okay I'm young I have the energy I will start with the hardest one because I can do it now. I don't know if when I'm 30, I maybe have responsibility and so on, and then I can take care of it. In the middle of my software engineering career, I went and I also started studying digital animation. 
Then I found out that a lot of things that they were doing, I can do it by myself and I can learn it on my own. So I said, okay, I actually don't need to finish this career. I drop it and I finish my software engineering career totally because it was something that I needed more guidance and, and like another way to see things. So as I said, if you don't, if you are not clear, find somebody that is already doing that. Ask questions. Never be afraid to ask questions. Actually, people love to to be helpful. And then mm -hmm. you say, okay, yeah, I see myself doing this. I don't see myself doing this. So great recommendation is start young. Yeah, amazing. I think it's right that you, you say that you, it, you have to try many different things probably until you find the right thing um, that, that you enjoy. Because how do you know unless you've tried it realistically? Exactly, you know? exactly. You, you, miss... you gotta ask yourself, you gotta, when somebody tells you something, you shouldn't ask why. You should ask, why not? Yes, I love that. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Boom. Exactly. <laughs> Christine, do you have a question? No. <laughs> I don't have a question. What is going on today? This is like... That's the beautiful part of being a designer. And your project manager should have a little bit of design. When you are a designer, you are able to wear many hats mm -hmm. and you should be happy and you should be willing to learn. So what happened is, um, I, I enjoy learning a lot, right? And then being a designer, for example, I, I was creative director for a manufacturing company of red light therapy. That's something totally different from what I've been used to. And, and it's like a very specific, and I say, wow, I, I can learn a lot about this. And the more I learn, the more I want to work for that. So how do you get that, yeah, that domain? You need to be willing to first understand the company, why they do that, what is, what is the motivation and then the users. So I like to, to say it like the designers can have superpowers. And one of the superpowers is put other people clothes on it. And say okay yeah i can experience this this um this knowledge in this as you said this domain so of course project managers need to do that as well because if you don't understand in this case specify a business model it's going to be very hard to make experiments or tests to run new growth right so yeah that's in your level is a learn learn how to learn i think that's, that's the thing. What is the easiest way for you to learn? And then it's, it's super fun because I learn a lot about red light therapy. So when I find people that is like into holistic health or related, I can go and have a nice chat with them. And they're going to be like, wow, why do you know so much? You are a designer. <laughs> and then that, that's nice. You, you can always expand and meet new people. And then maybe they need some design assistance. And then there you go. You already... They already get some trust because you know what they like or, or how they feel. So, as I said, and, and actually I wrote an article about this called the superpower, superpowers of designers. It's just like being a wizard. You gotta, you gotta put some magic on it. <laughs> um, so a bonus question. Did you guys get user testing for Speechify from user Zoom or not? <laughs> 
Yeah, 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 of course. So how would you how do you define which user method user research methods um you would go for? Or would it be like the head of UX and then so at least in our case, uh we have different platforms and there are designers on in charge of mm-hmm. those platforms, right? Um I personally like web, everything that is like web app or web based. So which are the users that enjoy Specify on the web? So mostly students, when they need to do homework, it's hard for you to do the homework in your phone. You need to open PDF, you need to Google Docs or Documents, Work, whatever, right? So you are, you're gonna be in your laptop or your, or your computer. Mm-hmm. So that's the first step. Okay, users, okay, who is using the platform on the web? And after that, you say, okay, how do I get a good user? Let's say I want to try a new initiative for students or a new initiative about education. Then I can get teachers, mentors, students, or people preparing like an online course. So you start to narrow down until you say, okay, I need somebody from 19 to 25 because that's like mature college age and maybe about 35 because i need a teacher with enough experience to say i'm going to prepare my whole class and i want to be i don't know i want to read it out loud for the students so you start with it with like a broad picture and then you start to narrow down says until you say yeah this is an ideal customer there is no perfect customer but like an ideal customer after that you can make some tweaks and, and maybe incorporate other type of user personas but that's how normally you do it Again, I don't follow like a unique standard or, or way to do user research. It's more dependent on what I'm gonna test and by experience, right? Things like, for example, an app. Testing an app is very complex because you use your phone in very different situations. Specify on the phone is like you are commuting, you want to finish an audiobook, you want to read the introduction for your class, Want to specify on the web is like okay, it's time for my homework. Can I read the book there while I get a synopsis and then I can continue my work, right? So, super important things like design, user research for design for apps is not even too much about how it looks, it's where the person is going to be located. It's going to be in the subway, it's going to be at home, it's going to be in the bathroom, right? All those things, okay. Then now you have a situation, okay? Now I need to put that solution in that situation. You cannot make a process super long and complicated if you are expecting people to use it while commuting. If you go in a subway, there are other people, you need to make sure you hear the station, maybe you are standing up and so on. So those are the type of things that I take in consideration. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. I feel like it highlighted a lot of, um, you highlighted a lot of their key key pointers um, in product management there, which is really interesting. Um, yeah, I think we're at 46 minutes. Yeah, we probably so... should be 45 minutes. So is there anything else that you would like us to ask you? Or do you uh, have any? No. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I have a question that I always like to ask people. What is your favorite app? Uh, um, oh yeah, <laughs> probably TikTok for me. Oh, no. A little bit of TikTok. Okay. Oh no. Okay, so we got TikTok with Emily. What about you? Christine? No, it's Spotify. 
Spotify. Okay, now my next question. Why TikTok is your favorite app? Because um, it's hilarious and informative. I feel like I get loads of like life hacks and like tech-related news off TikTok. Um, I learned how to change the icons on my desk on my Mac home screen to uh, loaves of bread, and it's amazing. It's like little loaves awesome. of bread on my screen. <laughs> that sounds very fun. And yeah, uh, I'll send you a screenshot of her screen. It's yeah, I, I need to see that. I need to see those. I need to see it, those loaves life... there. Yeah. yeah, my life is made, Carlos. I don't need to do anything else. I feel like I've now experienced everything. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I'm glad to hear. Yeah, I mean, I also would be I pretty like happy to, if I like to listen to music all the time. So I could listen to trance all the time. Emily knows she was like, you didn't say hello to me, and I was like, I was listening to music. I always listen to music. So when I was oh, yeah. you used to have like you used to have like carry a CD player, and you couldn't really run because you could you had like you would like fall out of your trousers or whatever, and then we'd have like. Uh, blackberries and then you had like VK you know it's like a Russian version of Facebook then we used to like listen to music there then they made it paid and now we just like by default have to like pay for Spotify it's been a long journey <laughs> yeah I understand I'm and not gonna I ask this question Go on. I, I, I asked this question because uh, to conclude my whole design journey um, there is one um, term that we use called the job to be done you create products and those products are going to work for you. So what you need to understand is what is the job. So TikTok is a platform of videos, right? It's just short videos and that's it. But what is the job that TikTok does for you, Emily? Knowledge, information, entertainment. Then for you, Christine, okay, simplicity. You don't want to pay for music. You just want to enjoy and you want to enjoy your categories. So it's peace, entertainment, simplicity. And I, and I like to give this example because um, in, in the U.S. at least, the milkshakes are very popular in the morning. And you will say, why a milkshake? Why ice cream is very popular in the morning? So a group of designer, research designer, gather and say, why? The milkshake is so popular in the morning, like early morning. They find out that people buy milkshake because it's so thick that takes about 20 to 30 minutes to finish. So while people are driving, they have the milkshake, they can have it in the whole trip, they don't feel bored and they keep doing something. So it's just like, okay, I, I feel I'm doing something. I'm getting kind of a breakfast, but I'm not getting myself full so I can enjoy something 10, 11. And uh, I'm feeling I'm taking advantage of my day. Is that job has anything to do with asking? No. It's just about lifestyle, right? So when I ask mm. people, what is your favorite app? I always find new jobs for those products. And I think that's like the latest secret about design. What is the product? What is the job your product is going to solve? That's it. Well, I think for me, it gives me dopamine because I listen to like techno or trance. Yeah. Yeah, but in, in this case, for example, so your job is getting dopamine, right? And then... You have a range of other things that also can give you that. I mean, but Spotify is doing that oh. job for you. Then they you dropped oh. off. <laughs> da, da, da. <laughs> oh, this was romantic. <laughs> I don't know, maybe his laptop died. 
Let's wait two minutes and then go. <laughs> be honest, it's probably all he had loads of like neon lights, so it's probably uh, taking up his energy what? supply. Oh, hello. Uh, I don't know what happened. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Emily's version. Wait till this. She said he had loads of neon lights. I was like, what's that got to do with anything? I was like, maybe his laptop well, died. I was like, let's wait two minutes. I'm going to sleep. <laughs> oh my god. No, I thought it was funny. But yeah. So well, I feel like you left at like a pinnacle time. You just made your point and then you were like, I'm going. Yeah, I don't know what happened. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, it, just getting back, just the jobs to be done, right? Uh if you're curious about my lights, part of my branding is purple. So I like to yeah, to have like a lot of purple all over. Oh my god. So next time you see purple, you are gonna think about me. What does what does color psychology say purple is? Uh, in this case, I pick it up purple, not too much for uh, psychology. It's because it's a color that people normally don't use. Oh. It's hard to see somebody wearing purple on the streets, right? So most of the apps are gonna go financial or or like software as a service is gonna go blue or green. So if I put green lights, it's not so easy to recognize, right? But if okay. I put something different, like the strong purple, next time you say purple, it's like, oh, yeah, I remember Carlos like purple. So purple is not even my favorite color, but it's excellent for branding because almost nobody uses it. So oh, yeah. here the idea is also, it's, it's another branch of design more related to branding, but it's like, okay, how I make people remember me always. So cool. another thing, yeah, I, I, I like to carry my own branding and I like the people to remember for certain things. I'm, I mean, I'm all covering tattoos. Probably next time, if any of you wants to make a tattoo, you'll say, ah, I remember those cards. Maybe he can recommend me, I don't know, tattoo artist or a design. That's branding, how people remember it. So when a company says, oh, I need to make a logo, blah, blah, blah. It's, okay, what do you want the people to remember you for? Cards, okay, tattoos and purple. Easy to remember, cool. But that's like, that's another branch of, of design, yeah, more related to branding. <laughs> I love that. That's so cool. Um, shall we round off, Christine? Mm -hmm. Are you? Do you want to do our plug? Uh, well, I'll thank do it. you so much for your time. Um, it's been great learning more, and hopefully we will speak soon. Yeah, of and course, uh, anytime. I think he found you adorable. I think he understood <laughs> what we're dealing with. <laughs> I am. What can I say? Heflick. Um So, uh, yeah, to all the listeners, um, you know, thanks for listening. And you can catch us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So catch you next week, everyone. And thanks for coming, Carlos. It's been a pleasure. Thanks to you, ladies.